So do you know that this year is the longest possible period in terms of numbers of days that there can be between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Thanksgiving was the 22nd of November, which is literally, completely honestly, the earliest fourth Thursday there can be in the month. So for some people, this is fantastic news. If you're in retail, like my sister is, she just opened up a great new little kitchen, kitchenware store in north of New York City, to have this amount of time to launch her store in is fantastic. And if you're someone who tends to put off your buying for many, many days, well, you've got more and more days to put off that buying for. So maybe that's good news for you, bad news for you. But here's the other thing. There's also longer time this year to be stressed out. I'm already hearing the stories. And I hear them every single year. The holiday stress stories. It reminds me of this old story that's been told many different ways. It became famous with Ronald Reagan. I heard about it in terms of the Time Warner acquisition of American Online a number of years ago. But here's the story. A child is walking through a field one day. And this little boy sees a big pile of horse manure. And he dives into the horse manure. And he starts digging and digging and digging. I mean, he is into this horse crap all the way. You can barely see him. He's disappeared into it. And someone walks by. He says, what are you doing? And he says, with all this dung, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, this is what happens sometimes to people at this time of the year. They wind up feeling shitty, <laughs> desperate, to find something that they want so badly, but may not actually arrive. That's why this time of the year is, yes, filled with overworking and overeating and overspending and overindulging and drinking and drugging. It's a time of the year in which a lot of people experience stress, perhaps because of the darkness, perhaps it's just because of the end of the year, perhaps it's because of the holiday seasons and we're supposed to feel, we think, a certain way at the holiday time. So there's a lot of stress for a lot of folks right now. And yet for all the stress of this season, I love this time of the year. It is a beautiful, challenging invitation to grow spiritually. I think it's a beautiful, implicit invitation, an insistent suggestion because what may be at the bottom of all of that busyness and all of that franticness and all of that overindulgence and all of that worry is this, this offering, this suggestion that the greatest gift that we are looking for is not something that we will find in horse crap or anywhere else, by the way. It is instead an invitation to know that the greatest gift is something that we already are and can become if we choose. This time of the year is a chance in the darkness to truly grow our souls, to experience a sense of real presence in this life, not looking for someday, some way, somehow, somewhere, but right here and right now to experience the gift of real presence, being here, being fully alive in this life, in the midst of our lives. This is one of the first lessons I ever got as a young pastor, 
14 years ago almost this was. I was 28 years old. Well, actually, there's one lesson before that. The first lesson I got that first December holiday season was Christmas Eve, this small new congregation that I was serving. We had our lovely uh, Christmas Eve service. It was just about reaching its conclusion. Silent Night, Holy Night had been sung, and we were passing around the candles in this lovely, beautiful little five-year-old girl. She had done up her curls so specifically in an alcohol-based hair mousse. And as the candle passed by her, we all heard this whoosh, and this blue flame shot up. She was okay. So the first lesson I learned about this time of the year, this holiday season, know where your fire extinguishers are. She was really okay. She grew up in the congregation. Everything turned out all right. But the real lesson I learned about this time of the year, about presents, about the gift that so many of us are looking for. I received by accident, or at least it was a surprise. It was a guy in my congregation who I didn't know very well. I'd only been there about four or five months, and he was a guy whose story I knew bonded me to his in just this way. He went to a rival boarding school from where I went. I went to the Hill School back in the dark old days when it was single-sex education. He went to a rival boarding school, and he was exactly the kind of guy, when I got to know a little bit about his story, who intimidated the hell out of me in boarding school. He was a big, strapping lacrosse player, very confident. He was everything that I was not in boarding school. And he came to me about a week before Christmas, and he sat down, and we started talking, and he burst out completely into tears, broke down in sobs, explaining that what was on the horizon for a long time in his life was, in fact, here now, was the end of his marriage, a marriage that was only about five years old at that point. And he said, because of some infidelity, some alcohol abuse, that his marriage was coming to an end, and he felt powerless to be able to help himself or who was soon to be his ex-wife in any particular way. And I have to tell you, I'm not proud of this, but part of what I'm here for is to be honest. The first thought in my head was, I didn't say it, who's the big man on campus now, buddy? I mean, I, I thought it, it was, it was like two seconds. I did not say it. I recognized how immature a response it was, kept it to myself. And we went on, we talked for about an hour and a half, and most of what I did was simply listen. Listen to this man who at one point in my life would have completely intimidated me because of my own insecurities and because of my own immaturity. Tell me a story of his brokenness. There wasn't much I could do to help him overcome what he was feeling. At the end of our conversation, nothing had really changed for him other than this one thing. He enveloped me. He was a big guy, 6'4". He enveloped me in a huge hug, and he said, thank you for listening to me. I've been so alone, and there's been no one I can talk to. And so there ended that lesson, that lesson about presence in this December time of the year that's filled with stress for so many people which is that I did not need to be perfect to be present for him. I had my own silly things going on in my head. I was able to put them aside and simply listen to him. That is the beautiful invitation of this time of the year in this dark season. See, for all the sweetness and the supposed light of these December holidays, one of the reasons people feel so much stress very often now is that these December holidays are not for the faint of heart. 
Very often people experience stress at this time of the year because it heightens a sense of what people feel they are missing. Just like that little boy in that story, digging and digging and digging more into the horse crap and getting dirtier and dirtier and not finding what he wants, but just being so committed because he thinks someday he'll find it. By heightening sometimes at this time of the year the stress of our lives, it also simultaneously increases the chance that we might break through to the other side of that stress and find and touch what we are really yearning for, that call to a deeper presence and deep and profound connection with this life. But sometimes, yes, we have to get through a lot of crap to get there. This is why the ancient holidays of this time of the year, a time before, not just internet, but any form of artificial light, the symbolism of this time of the year, the ancient holidays, is all about hospitality and welcoming and arrival and birth and recognizing that we are in the process of formation. We are in the process of becoming. We are in the process of learning to recognize sometimes very small lights. There's a line in the old Christmas hymn, let every heart prepare him room, or sometimes it's rendered let every part heart prepare a room. I like it just, let every heart prepare room. Let every heart prepare room. Just recognize that this time of the year is an invitation to the kind of presence that invites us to build spaciousness within our lives, build a greater opportunity for hospitality and welcoming ourselves. And if we can truly welcome our own lives to our own lives, then we have a pretty good chance of being able to greet other people where they are and to offer them what we can give them that is helpful. Thinking of this quality of spaciousness and hospitality, I think of what is core to my own spiritual practice. It's called the, for the four limitless qualities in Buddhism. They are as follows. Equanimity. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. For most of my life, I had an equanimity deficiency that I am still living out of. I'm someone who got very high and very low. I'm learning how to be a little bit more balanced. Equanimity, the first of the four limitless qualities. The second is sometimes translated as sympathetic joy, real pleasure at someone else's good fortune. I spotted a sense within myself about three months ago that really, in formal and informal ways, I was growing deeper with these four limitless qualities when I noticed that I had sympathetic joy five minutes after my New York Giants had last, last to the Philadelphia Eagles and missed a last-second field goal. I know that some of you are Eagles fans. It's not been a good year. I'm quite aware. I'm not rubbing it in. Yes, the Giants are in first place. But here's the point. <laughs> All the way back in this game in September... The Eagles had won, and I didn't like the outcome. But naturally, almost instantaneously, what I experienced in myself, and I thought of some of you, I thought people I know are made happy by this outcome, and that made me happy. That is sympathetic joy. The third is compassion, being willing to be with another person in their suffering and in their pain. The fourth is metta, loving kindness kind of universal friendship, hoping and opening our hearts so that all beings may flourish. The four limitless qualities, that's what they're called very often in the English version, but I like the original Pali version. The, the word is Brahma-vihara, and that literally translates to divine abodes. I like that more. 
and just four limitless qualities. The four divine abodes, homes for our hearts, bringing God home, bringing the divine, bringing spirit into our lives in meaningful, tangible way that changes us from the inside out. Within the Christian tradition, there's a guy named John Shelby Spong who was a very radical Episcopal bishop for many years who took his own tradition to task so regularly because he said too often Christianity turns its understanding of God into merely a Santa Claus figure who's holding a cosmic view of naughty or nice and will spend eternity there based upon whether we've been naughty or nice. He says, no. The real understanding he has of his spiritual tradition is that he says it invites us to swim, he would say, and this is true not just of Christianity, but all traditions, to swim in an ocean of love, to recognize that we are part of that ocean. He didn't mean this in any way in a sentimental way. He said once we recognize that we are part of that ocean, we recognize that we are bearers of love to and for and with each other. What does it look like to trust and cultivate that kind of presence that brings the divine abodes home, that allows us to swim in that ocean, that boundless way of love? The difference that it makes is actually has to do with swimming and floating. We are naturally buoyant, most of us. I was a lifeguard for a number of years. The reason that most people drown is because they go stiff and rigid and they will not allow themselves to float. They start to panic. Presence is our natural buoyancy. We are stronger by, quote-unquote, doing nothing and just opening ourselves up to each other and to ourselves in this life. But the reason people drown and the reason sometimes we run away from true presence in this life is because, like that drowning swimmer who is looking for something so firm to put their foot down on, they're looking for some thing, some place to land, but in fact, it's the whole ocean that can hold them and the breath in their lungs that can hold them up and will allow them not to sink down to the bottom. But sometimes when we think it has to be a thing, a gift, something that must happen, and we search for it so frantically in a panic of our busyness and our anxiety, we will go under. Rather than understanding truly that with an open-hearted presence in this life, it is like coming to see the whole ocean and the basic inflow and outflow of the breath in our bodies, that we have the natural capacity to be buoyant. But like the wide ocean and the deep breath, a truly open-hearted presence is not something that can be manipulated. It is not a thing that we can grab and make our own. It is part of a larger reality that we can choose to work with every moment of our life. If we can choose this way of being in the abodes, which is just another way of saying, if we can choose this way of being at home in and with our lives, then we will recognize the word that is related to abode. Just change one letter. We will have the ability to abide to abide with life, to stay with life, to be present. People who can abide are people who have an open-hearted, open-handed capacity to simply be present, to recognize our, also our capacity for deep anxiety and for holding on to the things we love almost to the point that we strangle the life out of them because we so don't want to let them go. But abiding bids us open. 
See, in our very, very competitive culture in which everything is treated as a sport, we sometimes associate power with doing. People who have power are people who do things, sometimes even if they're the completely wrong things, sometimes even if they are harmful things, but we still call them powerful. This is why I love this time of the year and the ancient holidays of this time of the year, Diwali, Solstice, Hanukkah, Christmas. The symbolism of so many of these holidays starts with the small light, not the big blazing power of the sun, but the small light at night that calls us to recognize that we contain that light, as we say here every Sunday, within ourselves. But if we cannot recognize the small light, we will be blown away by the big power, the bright light, and the sun. I remember the beautiful novel from a number of years ago by Arundhati Roy. The title is The God of Small Things. The God of Small Things. That's what abiding is about, getting in touch with the small things in our life. In the Christian calendar, we're now in the season of Advent, which is a season of abiding, a season of learning to wait a season of learning to befriend. Think about those situations in which you have really befriended your life or befriended other people. Think about the people who have befriended you and have sat with you perhaps in some of the most dark seasons of your life, the people who will sit with you in the hospital room, the people who will sit with you in the doctor's office, the people who will sit with you over coffee and give yourself their presence or you will give them your presence. It is what my fellow young man who I would have been intimidated by and scared of a decade before, 14 years ago, told me that I helped embody, even with my imperfections, a basic truth. He wasn't alone. We are not alone. Learning to just sit with, learning to be present is to practice living a life of deep integrity, as our core values speak about here at Wellsprings, that we can have deep listening and humility and vulnerability necessary to make real and positive change in our lives. But to really listen, we have to sit with. We have to come to know someone. We have to come to know ourselves. We cannot just rush immediately as so much of the busyness and the frantic nature of this time of the year impels us. With this kind of abiding and integrated presence, we recognize that our waiting is not for something. If we're not waiting for something, if we're not struggling with that someday syndrome or that elsewhere envy that says, at some point in the future, then I can be happy. If we learn simply to just abide and wait with this life as we are, we will see the change that maybe we hope for for years, but we think it's way far out happening right now if we pay attention, if we pay attention to really what can break our hearts and also really what will make us happy and fulfilled. It's one of the most well-known stories of this time of the year. I don't care if you're seven. I don't care if you're 70. This story comes home to me every single year, and it's this fellow right up here. He was on this past year. I love Rudolph and all the other ones and Frosty the Snowman, but the Grinch is my favorite because the Grinch is very different from a lot of the kids' literature and kids' fables that are told this time of the year, which kind of come down to, as I heard one critic say once, just be yourself and everything will turn out fine. The Grinch actually is a fable about misunderstanding happiness. The Grinch thinks 
that if he goes down to the Who's in Whoville and he takes away all their gifts and all their presents, he will remove Christmas. He thinks if I take away their things, I'm going to take away who they are. And the Grinch finds out all the toys are taken away, all the treats of Christmas are gone, and yet the Who's down in Whoville still sing. In that moment, his heart grows, his soul grows, because he recognizes, and he recognizes, that even without all the things, even without all the presents, T-S, they still have presence, C-E. Even with all the gifts gone, we still can lead gifted lives. That we can be happy in a deeper way, in a more sustainable way, beyond just getting what we want, or what we think we want. The Who's down in Whoville teach the Grinch and teach all of us that there is presence even in the midst of absence. It's one of the most difficult parts of the year, I know, for many people at this time of the year, when there are so many images that we are bombarded with of happy families and advertisements with good tidings and glad tidings everywhere. And then maybe we take a look at our own families and our own lives, and we think, this does not match up to that. And maybe we experience some of that deeper grief of that time of the year that isn't just about comparing and contrasting our lives. Maybe we recognize the people we are estranged from. And we recognize the people who we just simply miss when we look around our gathering, our holiday tables, the people who have gone from this life and the people who we miss desperately. It brings to my mind probably my favorite animated character of all time, Homer Simpson. Now, Homer Simpson is not thought of, if you know anything at all about The Simpsons, as a terribly insightful guy. (laughs) Beer and donuts are what make him happy. But in my favorite all-time Simpsons episode, something occurs that allows Homer to experience presence and spaciousness within his own heart. His mother, who he thought long ago had just left him because she rejected him. It turns out there's this whole backstory. She was a political radical in the 60s. She had to go on the lamb because she pissed off the man. And she re-enters Homer's life. And they start up this great new relationship and friendship. And Homer realizes he was not rejected all those years ago. She re-enters his life. And he recognizes that he was loved all along, even if from a distance. Now, the story ends, the episode ends, with Mama Simpson having to go back on the lamb. And Homer is heartbroken. He's just starting this relationship with his mother after all these years, trying to make up for all this lost time. But she has to leave. He doesn't want his mom to go away. But that's the nature of our lives, isn't it? All things must pass. And at the end of the episode done in a way that I've never seen The Simpsons do, and I love that show, in any other way in over 20 years, this is the ending image. Silent as the credits roll. Heartbroken Homer, sitting on the hood of his car, staring simply without words up into the night. 
Homer Simpson, yes, has the capacity for awe. If he does, we certainly do. <laughs> Things don't have to be perfect for him to be present. And it is exactly the same thing with us. We can touch that larger love, the limited, limitless qualities, the divine abodes, the fullness of the breath, the whole of the ocean, whatever we call that animating force that animates all of our particular loves. And if we can do that, turn sometimes even in our heartbrokenness to the larger life that surrounds each and every one of us, if we can do this, then we will turn back to life to love the particular people and the particular gifts that we share that are just one part of life's offering to us, and we will love them better, not in a spirit of controlling or keeping or wanting even, but receiving as a gift. Because ultimately, when our hearts have been touched and changed by true presence, by love, the proper response, not the ego response, the proper soulful response is not more or gimme, it is thank you and wow. See, when Homer sits on, the, on that car, on the, on, the, on the hood of that car, I think he gets, yeah, actually Homer actually gets, because actually this is where The Simpsons is really smart, they, they reference Walt Whitman in that episode directly. Homer gets what Walt Whitman was talking about. Walt Whitman says, I am large, I contain multitudes. Do I contradict myself? Well, yes. No big deal. He is heartbroken and he is full of love. He has lost who he loves and yet the presence is not gone. He experiences spaciousness and he knows he is not alone. If we can remember this, particularly at this time of the year, this gift-giving time of the year, we also can recognize something that William Sloan Coffin said a long time ago, and perhaps we recognize this within ourselves if we're tight or tense, that the most meager gift of all is someone who is all wrapped up in themselves. Maybe we can remember to be just a little bit like Homer, even if we're experiencing that heartbrokenness or that longing, and open ourselves back up to the whole of our lives. I'm going to conclude with this, which is my favorite reading for this time of the year. And it's not any ancient scripture, it's a modern scripture. And it's John Lennon, who sung about that limitless, undying love that shines around me like a million suns. It calls me on and on across the universe. At our Christmas Eve service coming up in a few weeks, there's one favorite part, and I'm pretty sure this will be my favorite part again this year. It's after we sing Silent Night, Holy Night, and one of you does not go up in a blue flame. <laughs> and all the other lights are out, and you're holding the candles in front of you. And I get to stand up here and see you. But save for the people who are seated right here, I cannot see your individual faces. All I see is small light, small light, small light, small light, large gathering of light. It's actually who we are right here and right now, even if we're not holding candles. So in this season, in this season when it may be likely for some of us that we will experience stress or deeper sadness or franticness or busyness or the losses and the pains of grief hurt us just a little bit more, may we remember that light, that candle inside of each and every one of us, and may we allow ourselves to shine and allowing ourselves to shine 
May we see the shining of others as well. May we know real presence this year. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Oh, great and divine welcoming abode and home. May we allow ourselves the giftedness to abide within the qualities that call forth spaciousness of heart and spaciousness of truly connected living. May we allow ourselves to be those who wait, not with passivity, but wait so that we can receive life, so that we can truly give life as well. May we recognize truly the sources of stress, sadness this season and recognize at the base of all of them is the seed of life's longing for life itself planted in us by this universe calling us home. May we be a present people. And through this, may we be the gifts that life is waiting for. Amen.